You're listening to The Green Country, a fantasy storytelling podcast where each episode introduces a new character, creature, or facet of this fantastical land. These stories follow the course of Queen Alyssa's centennial tour of her kingdom. Every 100 years, the long-lived monarch travels throughout her overgrown forest realm, meeting its inhabitants and seeing its sights. Join me each week as we explore a new and fascinating aspect of this lush, expansive world. You can learn more at www.thegreen.country, and I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks for listening. The Rogue of Thorns, Part 1 The Rogue of Thorns, or Ivretto, as he was known to friends, squared his back against the cramped confines of the tiny holding cell he found himself in. The wooden boards of the hull felt solid enough against his back, though he knew that just beyond them lay the open sky and freedom. The room wasn't much more than a closet. It was, in fact, a pantry that had recently been converted into a makeshift prison. The skyship's captain, a pirate by the name of Rugier, had been more than happy to repurpose his larder. I have long dreamed of hosting you aboard the Windswell, he had said to Ivretto, beaming. It wasn't so much that Rugier was pleased to see him. His joy was more so informed by the fact that Ivretto had been restrained by two of the pirate captain's burliest guards, his hands held fast in a pair of enchanted irons. There in the cell, Ivretto felt a weight of embarrassment pressing down on him. His capture had been laughably easy not at all in line with the mystique of the Rogue of Thorns that he had worked so hard to develop over his own years of marauding the skies. He shook his head, cursing aloud the simple blunder which had placed him in the grasp of the man who was his greatest rival. No doubt Rugier would draw things out before executing him, savoring the time with his captured foe. The singular brigand, who had for so long been a thorn in his side. But at that moment, imminent death was the least of Ivretto's worries. He had a damn reputation to uphold. Rugier was one of the most wealthy face-elf pirates in all of the green country. He had long since graduated from the toilsome work of armed robbery and ambuscade, preferring to direct his attention to matters of courtly intrigue namely bribery, blackmail, and the trade of both personal secrets and arms. Much less work, and far more lucrative. He, of course, maintained a network of pirates who did all the dirty work for him, though none of these henchmen could be traced back directly to the rogue tycoon. Ivretto had made his name and forged a reputation both celebrated and reviled through his actions against Rugier and several other pirate lords who had come to great prominence. The reason for this was simple. The Rogue of Thorns only stole from other pirates, 
namely those who had the coin to spare, as well as those who, in Ivretto's personal estimation, did damage to the romantic image of the Sky Pirate through acts of senseless violence, poor costume choices, or simply a lack of panache. Since his childhood, Ivretto had worshipped the idea of these free sailors of the sky, seeking fortune and misadventure, love and danger. Rugier's stringent system of commissions and quotas for his pirate franchisees was an affront to the bold and romantic tradition of face-silf sky piracy, and so Ivretto expressed his resistance by humiliating the scoundrel at every opportunity. And now, he was in the clutches of that very man. Presently, Ivretto heard the sound of the door's lock turning over, and several heads appeared in the open door. The highest of these was one of those brawny fellows from before, and below that face was another, smooth and refined in features, lacking hair but sporting two antennae and two wide almond eyes. Her skin was bright white, though here and there it was patterned with shining stripes of black and yellow. If Ivretto had to guess, he would say he was looking at a Vespara, wasp folk. She eyed him thoughtfully, curious to see if Ivretto's reputation stood up to the man she saw before her. Certainly, he was handsome in an elegant, sardonic kind of way, and tall for a face-ilf, too. Though he had been disarmed of his blade, he still wore the ornate green armor, which echoed the barbed character of his name in a series of spikes and spurs. Judging from the way the corners of her white lips creased gently upward, Evredo wagered he had received a somewhat favorable appraisal. When she spoke, her voice was crisp and precise. Greetings, I am Vosa, chief steward to Captain Rugier. His lordship has entreated me to deliver a formal invitation for you to dine with him this evening in the observatory. Wonderful, I'm famished, replied Ivretto coolly. Of course, it would be improper to attend such an engagement in one's battle dress. Ivretto looked down at the worn emerald armor, which served as his only present defense, and sighed gently. Not to worry, though, continued Vosa. We'll provide you with some fine garments from Rugier's personal stock. At this, one of the burly henchmen flourished a ghastly construction of blue silk, trimmed with an appalling amount of lace. Avredo's skin crawled at the thought of wearing such a thing, but Vosa continued, relieving him of any choice in the matter. As you are entirely untrustworthy, we'll have to incapacitate you, so we can remove those. And she gestured to the ornate fetters that bound his hands behind his back. But don't worry. Nigel and Clive will be more than happy to help you get dressed. At this, the two beefy guards smiled amiably at Ivretto, which was somehow more disconcerting. How are you going to incapacitate me? asked Ivretto, wondering why he had, for he truly did not want to know. 
Vosa's bright eyes widened, as did her calm smile, and she leaned in closer, placing a hand on his shoulder. This will hurt, she said, and from her wrist there sprang a needle-sharp stinger, black and shining, with what could only be venom. Within moments she had buried the thorny appendage in his right thigh, piercing clean through his breeches. A wave of magma-hot pain burst from the fissure in his leg, quickly encompassing his body. She held his gaze as he began to waver and crumple, still smiling. Evretto couldn't be sure, but she seemed to be enjoying herself. Nigel and Clive stepped forward to catch him. Unfortunately, the venom hadn't knocked him out, only paralyzed him. He had to suffer through the humiliation of being disrobed of his armor and dressed by the two towering guards. Thankfully, Vosa had stepped away, giving at least the respect of a little privacy. Clive left him sitting against the pantry wall, hands bound. We'll be back to collect you in a bit. You should be able to walk again in an hour or so. I do hope you're looking forward to dinner. I know Rugier is quite excited. Ta! With that, the pantry door slammed shut and the bolt clicked into place. Moments later, the windswell hit a bit of turbulence and quaked, jarring Ivretto. So there he sat at a slight diagonal, unable to move, body coursing with the fiery venom of the Vespara. The severe pain and immobility were within the realm of manageability for Evretto. It wasn't even the blue silk disaster he had been forced into that bothered him the most. It was his armor, or lack thereof. Soon enough, the ship hit another patch of rough sky, and he slowly teetered until he lay on his side, suffused with hopelessness. He imagined them tossing the suit of beautiful green plating onto a pile of greasy rags somewhere, or worse yet, out a porthole of the airship to plummet to the earth below. How did it feel in the hands of strangers, born away from Ivretto, its constant companion, its sworn brother and friend? Ivretto whispered a silent apology to his green armor, wherever it was, and a deep shame filled him. He had failed not only his larger-than-life reputation, even more, he had failed that enchanted carapace which had sworn to protect him. You might think Ivretto was delusional as a result of the significant amount of venom presently burning through his system, though you would be mistaken. For his armor did miss him dearly, and, rudimentary as its emotions were, it was in a state of intense fear at their separation. For this was no ordinary armor. This was a living protector, born of Evretto's own flesh, and no small quantity of magic. Swathed in a sea of smooth fabric that matched the blueness of his mood, Evretto thought back to the creation of his magnificent armor, which he affectionately called Thorn. It had taken him two weeks to track the old Faisilf hermit down. 
He had finally found the ancient man living in a cave high in one of the many rocky spires that thrust skyward in that wild region known as the Giant's Fingers. Rumor had reached Ivretto's ear of the miraculous teachings this wizened fellow might impart if the student was earnest and the coin plentiful. It was the third such tower of stone he had climbed, and was relieved he finally chose the correct one. The tiny man had shuffled out into the sunlight, looking down at Evretto, who had collapsed on the high ledge, fatigued from his considerable climb. Well, you're here. Have you got any money? After accepting a satchel heavy with doubloons, the man, whose name was Larence, led Ivretto through a vine-choked entrance to his skybound cave, which doubled as a home and workshop. Though he was seemingly as old as the rocks surrounding him, Larence was spry as ever, moving quickly and excitedly. Perhaps he was pleased to have a new student, or, more likely, a fat purse of gold in hand. He motioned for Ivretto to sit down at a cluttered table, and he did the same taking a moment to push aside the crumpled vellum, plant trimmings, and strange gardening implements that littered the surface. So, what do you want to make, and why do you want to make it? Larence asked in a crisp voice that sounded like dragonfly wings rubbing against one another. Ivretto explained the vision he had for his marvelous armor and his motivation for its genesis. There were those in the green country who were giving pirates a bad name spoiling the romantic and adventurous tradition which he dearly loved. He would use the armor to voice his complaint and launch his own resistance against those who sullied the lifestyle he held in such high esteem. Over the course of his explanation, Larence had begun to grow increasingly red, and he quaked gently, an elderly volcano ready to burst. For a moment, Ivretto feared he had offended the old-timer with his impassioned speech, but then Larence spoke. "'You're talking about that pompous lout Rugier, aren't you?' He sputtered, his bony fingers clenching into an angry fist. "'That greasy, snot-nosed bureaucrat has more in common with a gutter full of bird droppings than he does a pirate!' Larence spat on the ground, accenting his disgust. "'So you'll teach me?' asked Ivretto, fairly certain of the answer. "'Oh, my, yes. Your armor will be that the likes of which no one has ever seen.' He paused for a moment, beaming at Ivretto, pleased to the tips of his ears to have a pupil who shared his distaste for Rugier. Then his face became thoughtful, and he asked innocently, "'This will hurt. You do know that, yes? "'And if it goes wrong, well, not much to do except hope to find a loyal gardener.' Ivretto nodded, unfazed. Larence was, of course, referring to the process of becoming green-taken, or allowing the essence of the ancient and powerful plant life of the green country to take root within one's own body.' The process was permanent, and eventually resulted in a person being completely imbued by this life force of the forest. 
Skin was transmuted to bark. Roots grew into the earth to eventually render them immobile. And leaves and fruits would sprout. This overgrowth continued until their body was replaced completely with verdant plant life. The two Faisilf men had another plan in mind, though. Lawrence cast his eyes up at Evretto and let them drop slowly downward as he considered his robust form. What to take, what to take, mused the man aloud. Can't take a toe, you'll need those for balance. Balance! Very important quality for a pirate, with all that leaping and swashbuckling. No way you can spare a finger, either. Hmm. Ivretto, fully aware of the procedure he was soon to undergo, volunteered a thought. What about an ear? Or perhaps part of one? Larence scratched his wrinkly chin, considering this. Never tried an ear before, though I don't know why it wouldn't work. Might work a charm. Shall we give it a go? Ivretto nodded squarely, hoping that those spirits of the green country were with him in his venture, which was certainly uncertain. That night, Larence guided Ivretto through the ritual of green-taking, a complex ordeal which the wizened self was renowned for his mastery of. They chanted intensely for several hours, entering a deep trance which attuned them to the vegetal vibrations which Ivretto sought to attract. It was then that Larence proceeded with the anointing. From his vast collection of living plants, he selected twenty or so, bringing them near to Ivretto, who now sat, eyes closed and cross-legged, in a blissful state of deep meditation. The tea Larence had given Ivretto may have encouraged him into this state. The old face-elf was practical, if nothing else. Gingerly, Larence introduced the plants one by one to the somnambulistic pirate, watching and feeling, discerning something almost ineffable at each meeting. Each encounter seemed disappointing and lackluster to Larence, though how he could tell was impossible to say. He took more plants down from the numerous shelves which lined his cave, until the floor appeared to be a miniature jungle. After trying the hundred and fifty-seventh plant, he was near to giving up, but then remembered one small seedling he had forgotten. "'Of course!' said Larence aloud, and he raced to a nearby bookcase, and standing on his tiptoes, took down a tiny pot from which sprouted a single leaf. He held the pot up to the light, examining the delicate stalk, from which protruded the beginnings of tiny thorns. It was you all along, I'll bet. And then he held the plant in front of Ivretto's dormant face and waited. A moment later, the pirate's eyes snapped open wide, and he gave a startled gasp. It had worked. Ivretto helped Larence return the numerous plants to their shelves, and then they stumbled to their respective corners, falling into an exhausted slumber. In the morning when Ivretto awoke, a tiny plant was growing out of the top of his ear. He touched the sprout gently, and had the strange awareness that another presence had entered his consciousness. Larence strolled over, yawning and scratching his belly, 
but nearly keeled over when he spied the new growth protruding from the side of Everetto's head. Ye gods, it's a good thing we didn't sleep any later. We've got to operate right away. I hope we didn't miss the boat on this one. He gestured for Ifredo to come over to the table as he scanned the surface for some kind of tool. Never done an ear before. Hmm, what to use? In a moment, he turned around, a pair of gardening shears in his hand. Head on the table now. No time for questions. Ivretto obeyed, though he had decided this was a terrible way to begin one's day. Larence's wiry hand held his head in place with remarkable strength, pressing it against the table. Here we go! On three! One! Two! Larence, an old hand at this game, gave the shears a good squeeze right after two, and didn't bother with three. Evredo gave a howl and leapt from the table, clutching his head. In his other hand, Larence held the little sprout, now severed from its original host, though it was attached to a generous chunk of ear. Blood streamed between Evredo's fingers as he held the fresh wound. "'Did you have to take so much?' he cried. "'Only way to be sure I got it all,' said Larence matter-of-factly. "'Hold this!' he said, and handed Ivretto his missing piece. Larence rattled around on his shelves for a moment, and then produced a jar whose lid was dotted with a multitude of tiny holes. Hold still and take your hands away for a moment. Ivretto once more obeyed, though this time sullenly, and Larence sprinkled a shower of powder from the jar onto the bloody edge where the top of Ivretto's ear had comfortably lived for many years. Within a few moments, the bleeding stopped, and Evretta was pleased to find the pain receding to a mere sting as well. Larence flashed him a jaunty smile. This ain't my first pruning, you know. Evretto couldn't help but laugh. In his hands, he cradled a magical sprout whose very being had been intertwined with his own. He was suddenly surprised at the feeling he found in his heart then for he realized he felt as though he were holding a child, his own son or daughter. He knew he could only care for this miraculous growth with the utmost duty and dedication. Larence watched Ivretto, knowing well what he felt. You'll stay here a few days more. Take time to heal up a bit, and I'll teach you how to care for your new friend, how to guide its growth. Have you thought of a new name? Ivretto responded immediately, without thinking. Thorn. I think I'll call it Thorn. End of part one. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!